Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Carice. To the uninitiated, interoperability may sound like a surgical term, but it actually refers to how electronic medical records and other technologies used in providing care communicate with each other. The goal, of course, is seamless communication to improve efficiency and quality of care, but that's obviously a big challenge. Well, we have two guests with us today to help us understand more about this important part of healthcare delivery. Jake Engel is Senior Director and Business Developer at Oracle Cerner, a supplier of health information technology services, devices, and hardware in use at more than 27,000 facilities around the world. And for an on-the-ground perspective, we're joined by his brother, Dr. Sam Engel, who is Assistant Professor of Pediatric Endocrinology at Medical College of Wisconsin and a Pediatric Endocrinologist at Children's Hospital in Milwaukee. And thanks very much to both of you for being here today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. This is actually Mark's at first. We've never interviewed siblings together and raised the line in 367 shows, so I hope you feel special. Uh, and I'm interested in learning more about you because you both essentially share the same goal of better patient care, but you're coming at it from different places. So, Jake, why don't we start with you and tell us how you ended up on your career path and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. Thanks again for having me. I think it was interesting when we first approached to do the podcast, it was, you know, talk about interoperability from a vendor technology perspective. And I, I think that's really just a part of the equation. So I'm thankful to have the opportunity to have this conversation with my brother here. We both obviously grew up in the same house and then just came and attacked this from, from vastly different perspectives. We have a middle brother. He's actually an optometrist. So he's getting the short end of this particular conversation, <laughs> but uh, we'll make it up to him at some point. <laughs> um, so personally, I've always been interested in health and wellness and with, with an undergraduate degree in health promotion, but a minor in business. My first job out of school was in running corporate wellness programs for an investment firm here in Kansas City. But I often tend to lean toward the business side of the equation and then went back and pursued my MBA. So the combination of kind of passion and education, uh, I'm probably not as good at science as my two brothers, but and that education brought me to Oracle Cerner. In my time here, I spent my first six years working in home health and hospice agencies or with home health and hospice agencies, large and small, traveled across the country, great, great experience to kind of see things in action. And then spent six years building a team really from scratch to enter the Medicaid market, which was a new market at the time for Oracle Cerner. We focused on bringing innovation through data warehousing and analytics, population health type work to state Medicaid agencies, including the CHIP populations, homelessness, and other areas of need. CMS continues to push and incentivize those programs for innovation, and we felt like there was opportunity for us to add value there. The last two years have been on our interoperability team, which we'll talk about in a moment, and, and I focus on kind of our open developers, so independent software vendors or engineers, coders, companies that create applications and connect via fire or you know fast healthcare interoperability resources apis which stands for application programming interface which is really a, a way to connect one system to another every piece of technology that any of your listeners have today use apis all day long whether they know it or not current role really allows me to view healthcare from the outside in with our goal of facilitating data exchange where it's needed the most well, that's quite a uh, a broad background to bring to all of this. Pretty fascinating. And Dr. Engel, what's your career background and story and why medicine? 
Yeah, uh, pretty easy. Initially, I was diagnosed with diabetes in high school and had really great care from a family practice doctor in our hometown. And so had that interest in, in biology science and then and ended up going to medical school and second year medical school did a pediatric rotation and thought, okay, well, I definitely know these are my people. And so peds endo fit together because in endocrinology, the main people we take care of are, are kids with type one diabetes. There's a whole other you know, group of people with other sorts of endocrine issues like that as well. So I'm like, this is a perfect fit. And so uh, after residency, did my fellowship and have now been on staff here for about five years. And so my current focus is I do a lot of med medical education with our residents and, and students and fellows, and then also involved with the transition of care for our type 1 diabetes population to the adult world, and also now more involved with like the thyroid cancer and pediatrics. And are you a tech guy as well? I, as one of the younger people in our group, I have become that, whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> so I'm becoming that as just kind of a product of the environment. Gotcha. So, Jake, perhaps we can set the table a little bit here on interoperability. What are we talking about exactly, and why is it so important to patient care? Yeah, good question. You know, I've heard interoperability described in a number of different ways, even on some other podcasts I listened to in the last couple of weeks. Ultimately, it's really a, a term like population health, where it's broad in nature, but can mean many different things to many different audiences. And I think that's okay, because ultimately what we're trying to do is solve healthcare needs by providing the right data at the right time. And the way you do that is to interoperate it among systems. So ultimately we have the goal of enabling providers to have, you know, kind of complete data to support complete workflows. And then additionally, the ability for patients to be able to access that care and data. There's more and more desire for patients to access that. In some cases, it's very clear in how they would use it. In other cases, it's not. Areas where you might be familiar would be the Apple Health Records on iPhone. It's a company we work with on a day-to-day -day basis. And personally, it's, it is a bit rewarding to have my labs drawn at the health system that does not use Oracle Cerner and see it on my you know, iPhone in, in minutes time via an API. So that's just one of the many examples. Unfortunately, I'm able to work for a company that really kind of embraces the openness and, and working towards creating a truly open ecosystem. There's some ways to go in that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But as your listeners know, you know, a lot of this is much easier said than done. It, it, when you say, why can't this system just talk to this system? You know, the data required to solve these challenges, number one is, is never nor will it ever be contained in one EHR. It's going to be all over the place. It's going to be in public health access databases. It's going to be in payer records. It's going to be in niche commercial products that solve on, you know, one workflow such as genomics, which may not have a natural flow into the, the native EHR. Some may, some may not, right? So that, it all kind of depends. And if it doesn't, how do you get that information in there? So many of these use cases fall under interoperability. And when we talk with companies to say, you know, oftentimes we're flat at a conference or something, they come up and they say, hey, we want to partner with you, or we want to interoperate with you, or we want to integrate with you. That's great and interested in having that conversation, but really want to know kind of what workflow, what problem are you trying to solve to understand, you know, how we invest in any resources that we may have. Some examples that the audience may be familiar with, just kind of terms would be like the health information exchange. You know, we create those networks and those networks continue to expand. And ultimately, I think they'll start to begin to merge. Prescription hubs to get that within the native workflow of the HR. I mentioned payer networks. That could be social security administration. That could be Medicare. That could be private insurers, all which add burden to the system. You know, we could talk, do we agree with the way it's all structured? 
But if we're operating within the bounds of today, I think it's important to understand, okay, in today's world and, and in the near future, I need to be able to facilitate this exchange. Additionally, I had some calls this morning with some folks interested in clinical trials hmm. and how to serve folks up in the native workflow, how to get that information back, how to create that type of efficiency within that problem, which doesn't seem like a core EMR problem, but it's a interoperability problem to solve for all of healthcare. And finally, some public health reporting, to name a few. Different versions of this, and then as you know, they can often differ at the state level, which is not often ideal, but that is that does happen. So we have to be able to adjust for that. Right. And then as we expand outside of the U.S., typically the U.S. is leading the the way in terms of standards, but other countries are starting to lean into these. They have other similar challenges, different ways they provide care, you know, at a local and a national level. So kind of all things fall under that umbrella of interoperability, and I think it's important. When you start there to quickly identify what what are we really trying to solve and then move forward. Yeah. So from the physician perspective, Dr. Engel, you know, your brother mentioned providing complete data to support complete workflow. Talk about that in real terms, you know, on the hospital floor in a clinic. What does that mean for you as a provider? Yeah, that and it's it's a little different because for me it's there at that moment. I I want the patient's data that prior workup they've had, prior labs, prior imaging, prior notes, if that's possible, to find out kind of what's been done so we don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel or create, you know, just wasteful spending by repeating labs or imaging that's already been done. This is, you know, this happens a lot in pediatrics particular because there's not as many providers, especially specialists. So we get referrals from all sorts of places. And some of these are small communities. Some, some of these places are, you know, somebody moved across country. And so there's a lot of variability with how we get that information. And if I can see the labs, see imaging, possibly see other notes to see kind of what's been going on with this patient, then that lets me spend more time in the patient's room instead of tracking all this stuff down and actually talking to them about the problem at hand and then letting them talk a little bit more. So that's where I feel like it helps me the most. So when I go in there, I'm prepared, the family feels like I'm prepared, and then we can kind of focus on the next steps rather than still kind of tying up loose ends from what's been done or repeating things, especially in kids, you never want to have to repeat labs if you don't need to. Like that's very, I, I very strong about that. And again, unfortunately, sometimes with these communities, community hospitals, they don't have the resources. They're the same EMR. So we can't get that data. So it gets faxed and sometimes that gets delayed or scanned in incorrectly. And so there can be errors with reading that scan or things like that. It's harder to, to, you know, search. If it's a big pile of paperwork, it's hard for me to search for key terms in the electronic health record. I can, you know, control F and I can find certain things that I'm looking for specifically. So those are like, as a receiving provider, important things, but then also as a, you know, a referring provider to study, submitting, you know, transitioning my patients to the adult world, or say their families are moving to a different provider. If I can have my notes very clear to them, they can go back farther. We'll send a transition of care document with you know, the most recent labs, but sometimes you want to see more of it and you don't want to have a hundred pages of, of something. You can search things way faster through a, a EMR kind of system that allows you to have that function. So those, those functions just, I think, make the patient's workload easier. So they're not on the hook for being able to have to track up every single thing that they have had done, especially if they're a complex patient. So, I mean, that all makes perfect sense. I'm sure to people listening, I mean, for a physician or any other provider to have the complete picture before they meet with the patient and 
and the other things you mentioned, that's, that's a great goal. So where are we at Jake with realizing that goal? What's it like out there in the real world meeting that standard? Great question. Big challenges to solve. You know, I think in, in my roughly 20 years in the space of seeing things that have been developed that at one time seemed impossible and they've come to life for what's ultimately possible. I think we're still really in the idea phase. And, and oftentimes we get our ideas, you know, as, as companies, as individuals, as problem solvers, we're looking at things that currently exist. Some individuals, we see technology and standards that can make our lives, not necessarily lives, but the tasks in our lives can be made easier on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, many people will engage in that all throughout the day, depending on how they want to engage that. And so I think the healthcare systems are a bit late to the game. It's a different type of game. It's much more complicated. There's you know, lots of regulations and, and some people argue against that fact, but our father is going through a very personal or complicated healthcare journey himself and is in, in and out of multiple clinics and facilities and biopsies and the rest. And I had a chance to accompany him up to his latest visit and I kind of watch all this stuff in action. Uh, you know, the goal is to make it as seamless as possible. But as you go through there, if you really kind of look at the workflow, everything that goes on in a visit, and this is a pretty complicated visit, it's, it has come a long way already, but I think there's you know a lot further in which we can go. A couple examples of where we're at today, just even in the last maybe four or five years, would be the advancements of, I mentioned the SPIRE standards. So the HL7, Health Level 7 community, you know, really their goal is to focus on standards. Without standards, it's very hard to exchange this data. It creates all the extra lag for every example that we just talked about. But as those continue to advance, different versions of the U.S. core set of data gets produced, acquired for certification and such, you know, that will help things such as those fire enabled applications that launch within the native workflow. So if there's an EMR system that cannot provide everything natively that, you know, Sam may need for his day-to-day -day care and their niche is on pediatric endocrinology and they, they have decided as a health system, they absolutely need this in their workflow. The standards that are taking place now and, the, and some of the concepts that are required exist to go help that move forward. Oftentimes we get to the point where that falls short and they say, well, that data meets almost everything we have, but actually to make it work really well, we need the following seven, eight, nine, ten things. Those things are much harder to surface because there's not yet a standard and it's kind of often buried deep within the EHR. So I think that's kind of the challenge that we have to remaining is to really kind of surface that up and then make it scalable. One of the things that we're currently focusing on is eliminating the noise and the filtering of duplicate records. Progress that's been made to date, that's great. You, know, you can see where almost 10 million records can get shared across, you know, from system to system. Currently we're working to really scan through those and oftentimes it's 99% duplicated information. Wow. So how can the system identify that 1% and then write it actually into the chart, as opposed to I've identified the 1%, I'm looking at one screen, I'm looking at another. That's okay. And that's a nice step, but you've got to really get it to the point where it's, it's fully integrated. And then finally, you know, the healthcare data standards, cloud technology, AI, ML, all the other buzzwords that are out there. And most importantly, government carrots and sticks continue to advance at a pretty rapid pace, which is long overdue and needed. So as these come into clear line, many of the challenges that Sam is, is mentioning can and will be solved. Dr. Engel, have you seen this get better, let's just say, in the last five years? I used to work at an academic medical center, and I remember our providers 
kind of complaining about how many times they had to log out of one system and back into another system and that sort of thing. Has that gotten better? Yeah, I think it, I think it has. There's always people that are kind of, you know, stick to the old way they've done things. But when I went into medical school, I was in the advent of some of the earlier kind of not as polished EMR systems and still a lot of people doing paper charts and kind of getting to see providers switch over those gears of going to the you know technology. And even in the past couple of years for us, like we've now been connected through our institution with other institutions through a, a kind of a, I don't use know the words, but I can look at the records from other outside facilities without having to get them faxed over. And so I have increased ability to retrieve that information, which has been helpful. So yeah, I think it's definitely improved and it's, it's there's always constant updates, which I think all providers kind of like grumble about because they get used to one thing or the other, but then you kind of get used to it and then incorporate that into your daily practice, but definitely feel like it's improved. I'm just curious about your relationship. I mean, are you, Dr. Engel, kind of a uh, focus group of one for uh, Jake and to tell him, hey, you know, would you guys please figure something out here because it's driving me crazy? Yeah, yeah we have some interesting conversations. Not always, you know, I see things from a very different perspective. Our brother, too, he he had from his optometry perspective. So we have some healthy discussions about this because, you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, you don't get it because, you know, you're on that side and we're on this side. And so, you know, even talking today, I've learned more because talking about how you have to get everything kind of linked up and it's not an easy solve. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So as I think you guys know, we have a lot of med students and early career health professionals in our audience. And I'm wondering if you have some advice for them about how to approach their work, particularly through this lens of interoperability and, and working with so many different sort of IT resources and assets and systems. Dr. Engel, you want to take a crack at that? Yeah, I, I think just like embracing it is going to be probably the most helpful thing. As a med student, I was fortunate to get that NICU baby transfer that had 300 pages of paper that I'd have to go through and and sort through and using technology to search faster, smarter, it's going to decrease your workload. Things like retrospective chart reviews that you might do with like, you know, an attending for a research project, that's another good way to kind of get into the system, learn how to navigate the system. Those kind of things I think also help, especially if it's a newer system that you're you're coming to as your training progresses. Jake, what would you add to that? I echo that and simply put, lean into it. It doesn't mean you have to believe in everything that it does and, and just kind of totally go with the flow. But there is a sense where there's value in watching and learning how it works, not only for yourself, but also how it works for your care team and how your patients interact with the technology and the tools provided. From my experience, I've had lots of different kind of corporate experience where I've worked with HR tools, sales tools, finance tools, legal tools, contract review tools data tools, all sorts of that stuff. And it is important to, even in a corporate setting, as a, as a kind of a weak analogy here, to understand kind of what the person approving your expense report is looking at. You know, when you're trying to get the information in and, and you're kind of frustrated between the two, it's important to have a respect of what that other person is, is challenged with. And long ago, I implemented travel and expense systems and then was a user of them. And you know, that's kind of a good way to bond and hopefully get those expenses through. But that can be use in a you know a, a nurse provider social work caregiver type of dynamic as well you know even in the home health and hospice world where you have social workers pts ot's st's out there on the hospice side you've got to get over to your medical director and the rest and it's you know might be in a nursing home might not be in a nursing home and and at the end of the day somebody looking at the data can be frustrated but i think it's important to really understand how did this data actually get here 
what is the person encountering in their day-to-day life that was enabled them to be successful and what challenges they have in, inherent in that system. And kind of one example of which made this true to form was when I worked with the home health and hospice groups, we required engineers, support staff, professional services or consulting to conduct a ride along with caregivers to see the product in action. And this is maybe 10, 12 years ago. And what would happen is you had a very heavy, thick laptop with a big battery that was not connected to the internet. And you'd open this up and oftentimes it would take a, a couple of minutes to load. And you say, well, it's easy to sit from behind a computer and say, well, it's a couple minutes, what's the big deal? It's different when you're sitting in the room or a, a house, it might be a very nice house, might not be a very nice house. You may have plenty of room, you might not have any room. And to try to bring this other device and, and see how every one of those seconds and steps and clicks and all of that matters. And it's and the point here is just getting that hands-on experience. You don't have to do it all the time, but I think a regular check-in on that is important. What that did ultimately was provides great perspective, even from somebody answering the phone in a support call who's just frustrated because the queue of support calls is, is, can be endless. If you think about that in the moment of what you're actually trying to solve, you've got that experience from a recent encounter, a recent visit, it really does make a difference. You know, I would encourage whether it's you know, you're Sam and you're kind of taking the lead or you're somebody on his support team, vice versa, kind of understand the challenges and technology and workflows of what they're doing and it brings it into perspective. And then you can kind of keep that in mind as you deal through the good and the bad of providing care. Does that make sense to you, Dr. Engel? Yeah, I think, you know, the overall goal for, you know, all of this is to really improve patient care. And again, being a patient helps you realize, you know, as a provider, helps you realize what they're seeing, what the deal, if you're sitting there clicking through stuff for a long time. And just that perspective, I think, helps us because that's what we're trying to improve that patient care, both in the room and, and overall. So, yeah, I think that that makes sense. And again, that team approach of seeing the MAs with their role or the nurses or what your role in clinic, it's all very different, completely different. And we we practice that. We've actually gone through and like shadowed what everybody does in that visit to help make those visits more efficiently and try to make sure that we can understand why certain things are, are needed or what we can kind of streamline. You know, I think I'd be remiss if I left without asking about generative AI because it's just come on like a steam locomotive in the last month or so. And does that have a role in what we're talking about? Is that going to be a way to help with interoperability or or not? What do you think, uh, Jake? This is where the two perspectives can be widely different, right? I think there is value in the potential if used correctly. There's a lot of scenarios in which things do have trends and can be repeated and can be automated and evidence can and has shown that, you know, it's not always black and white. So there has to be a balance of if this, I need to, you know, I would imagine that same way here in a second, but from our perspective, yes, there is value. We're actively kind of teasing that out as we speak. I had conversations about that this morning. How do we, how do we use some of this and how do we get it into the workflow and things like alerts are mentioned. And that's a very sensitive topic to where you've got to minimize alert fatigue, get it in the right place at the right time. So I, I think there's a lot more to come there, but it's an active part of day-to-day -day conversation on our end. So it might be something you can harness in, in positive ways if you're careful about it. Correct. What do you think, Dr. Engel? I think there's potential benefits to it. I It makes me nervous, some of the AI stuff in terms of the nefarious things or the to denying things and stuff like that. So I get a little nervous about that, but I, there's definitely 
some systems in our regular workflow that can probably benefit from it. And again, it without it being black and white and kind of getting that patient input, there can be some subtlety variables that maybe the, you know, you might not get from simply just pattern recognition when you see the patient talk to them. I have to say, I, I don't envy providers because it just seems like the amount of tools coming your way all the time, leaving aside generative AI, but all the other AI, all the data crunching and, and just the massive amounts of stuff to learn, you know, about whether or not this can be incorporated into your workflow and your practice. It, it, it seems a little overwhelming. Is that, do you feel that way? It can be an example in our diabetes practice. There's been huge advances in diabetes technology in the past five years. And we're constantly having to learn, you know, the new pump technology, which might be different from one pump as the other, because we want patients to have them. They have great unit benefit, but it's can be quite confusing to know that the subtle differences there. So luckily working at an academic center, I, we have very frequent um, discussions and time to do that. So uh, it doesn't feel as overwhelming because I'm surrounded by so many smart people. That's good. So we are just a couple of minutes away here. I wanted to give you the same shot we give all of our guests, which is to give us some direction. We're, we're a teaching company. We love to fill knowledge gaps. Is there a topic you think osmosis should make a video about or a course about to fill a gap in knowledge that's a particular concern or interest to you? Jake, why don't you go first? Yeah, when I was thinking about this, I'm, I'm big into context and and a very visual person, if I can understand kind of the picture, then I understand where we're going and the details will come and fill in the blanks. You know, we referenced, uh, you know, our dad earlier and he's going through his, his journey today, but I often what's missing there, and I did some just kind of high level searching for images or diagrams on this, but is a true diagram or a flow a patient can do that helps guide them. When I search for this, what often comes up is you know, hey, if you use this insurance, then you follow these steps or, you know, everything is very siloed. I mean, it's a complicated problem to solve, but I think we need to move away from here's all these diagrams and we're guilty of this as well. Here's a diagram of a patient in the middle and 50 buildings behind them. And it's all patient-centered care, but there's really like no way guides them when to go here, when to go here, how do they move from this one to this one, or they go from here and jump over here. So something along those lines, and it probably has to be a bit use case because it's a giant problem to solve, but it's, you know, something that's a little bit more true in terms of soups and nuts and how that patient-centered care and how that navigation is needed. Why I think that's particularly important is you think about who's advocating for that person. And if some people better self-advocators than others, some people cannot do it at all. So it, it it has multiple audiences when you're trying to take care of that actual patient who may or may not know how to do those things for themselves. Well said. Dr. Engel, you get the last word. Yeah. You know, my, my thought is very similar. Obviously I'm peds skewed, but that transition from a pediatric practice to an adult practice, because we know there's this whole concept of emerging adulthood where you're not really a fully functioning adult at 18, uh, even though some of the laws may suggest that. So that navigating of where you go, who you see, and if we and if patients have gaps in that care, you know, things can go undetected and, you know, you miss certain things that could, that could occur. So there are transition kind of guidelines and, and documents to kind of help with that kind of stuff, but identifying for these teenagers who they need to see, when they need to see them, why they need to see them. And there are applications or using Apple Health to like put your health data on there. So then you can have that as a, another resource for when you do go see another person and you have that information. So illustrating the patient journey, it, is, it sounds like is the unifying theme there. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, we'll work on it. But for now, we're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank you both 
for being with us today. It's really been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Appreciate everything you guys do. Appreciate the providers and caregivers that are working with the tools every day. Do not envy your challenge. Appreciate all the support. Thanks for having us. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.